This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so we talk a lot about we talk a lot about spiritual DNA, and really, thank you very much, Malcolm. Um, so there's some really heavy spiritual DNA that I want to speak about tonight. It has to do with Ruth. Of course, everyone here knows that Mitzvah next Tuesday night, right? Wednesday will be Shavuos. Next week at this time will be Shavuos, and the Kavayosha brings down from that Rizal that anyone who stays up a whole night, um, Shavuos night, the first night, um, and doesn't sleep for even one second, is guaranteed to live out that year. Which is a big guarantee to live out that year, and also that no nezek, that no damage could happen to that person. But that what? It doesn't say for women or men. It doesn't say there's a difference. So, I don't know. It says it says if you're learning a whole night. Well, that was St. Taylor maybe, but not. you can't be talking and chilling. It's, uh, he says it's better, not, it's better not to stay up all night and talk. Um, better to sleep. But if, if you could stay up all night and learn, so that's why we have a program for women in Arnava all night, Shavuot's night. Till this year, Alosa Shacha, which means the morning star, comes up. Very early, like, I don't know, maybe four o'clock. So you only have to stay up till a little shachar, so that's, I don't know the exact time, I don't have the exact time with me, but, but you can look, you can look up mornings, you could go on to zmanim.com and look up, uh, morning, a little shachar morning star. It's somewhere there, cause I know Talison's filling, you can put on 424. So if you can put on Talison's filling 424, must be the morning star, must be like 347, something like that. Very, very early. So. It's not that much you have to stay up. And um, he brings down the Kaviyosh that the second night also, because really, the second night when we got the Torah. Because Hashem gave us one extra day to prepare. So it's really the second night of Shavuot that, that we got the Torah. So then, if it's the second night of Shavuot we got the Torah, then in Israel, it's not Shavuot when we got the Torah. Right? Because Israel, the second night, the second night, they're, they're, they have Chol. They only have one day Shavuot. So what's going on? If the second night is the real night that we got the Torah, in Israel they don't celebrate the night that we got the Torah. And the answer is, because Hashem said that we were going to get the Torah the first night. So when Hashem said that, all the Kedush is on the first night. But Moshe Rabbeinu asked for another day because we weren't prepared, so we got another day. But really, the Kedush is on the first night. So even though we got the Torah on the second day, which is what we have, so even though most people don't stay up the second day, he brings down from that Rizal that staying, <laughs> staying up the second night is just as holy as staying up the first night. Okay. So now let's talk about our spiritual DNA. So I'm talking about this a whole week. I've been all over the place and I've been speaking about this because it's, um, you see it very much in life that you have two people. I think we spoke a little bit about this last week. That you have two people in the same position, from the same place, at the same moment, and how much a difference is between stepping in and stepping out. So they were both the daughters of, of the king of Moab. They were both hanging on to, to Naomi, Arpa on one side and, and, and Ruth on the other side. And what happened? Arpa, um, Naomi told them to leave. They still hung on. Then, uh, then she said leave again. And that, at that point, um, at that point, Arpa left, and she, we, we spoke last week, she was with a hundred men and a dog, and from that night, Goliath was, was, um, she became pregnant with Goliath, this monster giant, and, and of course that night, Rus held on to Naomi, and 
became Rus, became the grandmother of Dawa the great grandmother of Dawa Well, the mice, what's the difference between the two of them? Right? So I was, I was actually speaking to my boys last night. I don't know when that chair will be put up, but it'll probably be put up. Uh, what? It's already up? Okay, so there's a lot of scary czar in there, so in the beginning. But anyway, um, so, so you, you see in, in the struggles in life, in addiction, people who have addictions, right? So today, the number, the relapse number in rehabs, right? No matter how much money you spend, the, the number is 80%. 80% of the people who go to rehab will relapse. No matter how good the rehab is. The, the best alcohol, alcohol rehab in California says that they're at 80%. The not such good ones is at 90%. So mice, well, why? If they went to rehab, they're clean. Why 80%? Now, so, how, so why do people spend so much money? The success rate in rehab is based on how long between relapses. So, the, no, it's very serious. So the first time you go, right, you spend a lot of money. And 30 days later, let's say, I don't know the exact dates, but let's say 30 days later, they relapse. Because what really happens is you're taking a person, you're putting them in a protective environment, right? There's no drugs in the rehab. You're, he, they're in groups the whole time. So they're, they're talking to people. They're socializing. They're not lonely, right? There's no pressures of making a living or all the outside things. So, it's a little easier to clean yourself up. And there's no drugs available. Now we take that person and we put him back into the world. In the world, there's pressure. You got to make a living. There are people with drugs. There's an environment, right? So it's very hard to keep that up. That's the whole thing of AA. What's AA? Why does AA work? So I was talking to someone today in Chinuch. Something that um, I think is very, very, very important which I am learning the difference between when I was teaching 30 years ago and now all of a sudden I'm teaching and the girls in my class are looking at their phones, right? And they're walking out of my class. I'm like, I used to be a good teacher and I got good stories. Why am I losing them, right? They're looking down, they're making moves, they don't have a phone, they're, they're fiddling, they're, they're sketching. And I'm like, I'm teaching the same thing what happened? And it's very simple. And I, I was telling someone today, very big in Chinuch, he was, we were talking about it, and I said, it's very simple. And I'm teaching now, I hope to teach in a very different way. What, what, what is the internet? What's so great about the internet? The internet is that the, the, the difference between television and the internet, pretty much people don't watch television anymore. If I was a rabbi, I could get up and speak, I would tell everyone that everyone should buy a television. Get rid- the deal is, you have to get rid of your internet in your house, buy a television. Because the television isn't interactive. So no matter what you're watching, right, you can't interact with the actor. You can't talk to them, right? So the reason television is not doing well is because the deep thought behind why people love to be on the internet for hours and hours and hours is most of your life you have no input. You go to school, the teacher teaches you. From when you're in kindergarten, you sit there, you write notes, they talk, you listen, you process. You have nothing to say, right? At home as a teenager, your parents tell you what to do, 
you pretty much don't have what to say. In your marriage, so the guy doesn't have what to say. But okay, just joking, just joking, just joking. But I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, but, so when I get up in class today, and I'm teaching, they're not interactive. They're used to listening and texting back. Facebooking, Facebooking back. Instagram, Instagramming back. They're not used to one-sided, just you sending to me, and I'm not, I'm not involved. So kids today are very into the interactive. Now, why is it, why is it, why is the internet so big? Why is Facebook so big? Well, I saw a very cute cartoon. There was this uh, funeral, you know, by the guy they have a funeral, so they have the coffin and then all the chairs. So they have this funeral set up with 2,000 chairs. And you see at the funeral, in front of the coffin, there's four people. All the chairs are empty, there's four people. And this girl leans over to the other girl and says, I don't understand, I know he had 2,000 friends on Facebook. <laughs> and only four people showed up, right? So that's what I always talk about, friends. But why is it such a, such a big item? And the answer is, because in all the other generations, we didn't get a chance to talk. My Rebbe gave a share, my English teacher gave a share. I never had input in my class. I, I, my input was writing a report and getting marked. On the internet, all of a sudden, I'm talking to you, you're talking to me, I can go into a chat room, right, and be the biggest big shot in the chat room, giving all this information, and it's interactive. So all of a sudden, Haki Rainey, all of a sudden, I'm recognized. I'm in the chat room. Wallerstein, you know, I'm, I don't know that much about it, but I know that when you go into a chat room, it says, Wallerstein is in this, in the room. So all the people in the chat room know that I'm here. So I'm this guy who nobody gives me attention. I'm a lonely guy, and I can go on the screen, and Wallerstein is here. Welcome, Wallerstein, right? And we and we start talking. I'm somebody, right? And we know from Rus that what did she say to Boaz? That the most important thing is the hockey rainy. She gave me recognition. So you have these kids who are on their internet all the time, and there's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. There's input, there's output, there's input, there's output. Now they come to class, Wallerstein is just giving a class, and they have no input. So they fall asleep. Because they're used to interactive, and my class is not interactive. I'm giving a class. So I came up with this brilliant idea. I walk into class, and I'm like, girls, what do you want to talk about? I'm not prepared. You tell me what you want to talk about. In the first 20 minutes of class, you're going to give your opinion on that subject. See us, whatever it is. You'll give your opinion on the Tanias, then I will give my opinion, and then you'll close the class. Oh, all of a sudden, everybody's up, phones are gone, because every girl has an opinion on Tanias, right? All of a sudden, I can't get rid of them. The bell rings, they're still there yelling at me and screaming at me, right? Why? Because this is a world that we live in today, is very, very interactive. You cannot teach the old way. You cannot teach. So, so um, I met with a boy today, and his he said that he's having a problem. That he's a, he has this kid who's very disinterested in learning, and um, his mother is paying this boy to learn with him. The kid doesn't want to learn. He says, "I sit down, I open." He says, "What safer do you think, Rabbi Wallstein? He's fifteen years old. What safer do you think he'd be interested in?" I'm like, "None with a capital N." He's not interested in learning. So I said, instead of you teaching him, you tell him that from now on you want him to teach you. Right? He should teach you 10 minutes about 
um, different parts of different things in technology that you don't know anything about. He should t- talk to you 20 minutes. He should give you a shear and something. In the end, you can give him a Dvar Torah. He said, really? I'm saying 100%. They, today, they, they want to have input. Kids want to have input. It's not like it used to be. They don't want to sit there and just listen. So if you let them give the class and you let them give input, we used to have it in yeshiva. When I was in yeshiva and I was in elementary school, it was a big thing. The teacher picked one kid to be teacher for the day. Teacher to be the teacher for the day where the teacher would sit in the classroom and the, the kid would give the class. Of course, it was the best kid, right, who knew how to give the whatever. So it was so exciting for that kid to give a class. So I think parents all together, parents and rabbeim and, and harusers and mentors and husbands and wives, the same thing. A lot of girls complain that the Shabbos table, their father gives the Dvar Torah, their brother gives the Dvar Torah, and they'd rather go upstairs and read a book. Because they don't, they're not interactive. They have no input. And I think that that's something in our generation that has to change. That, that we have to give each other, husband and wife also, you have to give her, you have to let her have an opinion. You have to have, your wife has to have an opinion, and you have to have her, her input. It's the same thing anything that you do. You build a house, right? Even if the wife thinks the husband's taste is really miserable, right? She, 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 if she's a smart woman, she'll make believe that there's something she needs him to do, right? Because it's, it's his house at the end of the day. If he has no input, you don't love something you have no input in. The whole koyach of Mitzrayim in peace over safes is that the Jews were slaves and they built these sphinxes and whatever else they built and then the Mitzrayim destroyed it. Because even if you're a slave and they forced you to build something, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're able to look at it, even though you were a slave, you're able to look at it, you feel good about it. The Mitzvah understood that, so they destroyed it. A person has to have input in, 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 in a relationship in the other person's life. So some men think that they're doing their wives a favor by keeping them out of their business, keeping them out of everything that they do, right? At the end of the day, the wife feels very left out. And that's, that's the, that's the, so even though she's not in real estate, it's a funny thing. The Gemara says that there are three things that, and, and, and I tell this to men, they're like, I show them the Gemara. The Gemara says there are three things you should listen to your wife. Even though she probably doesn't know what she's talking about. She says, you should listen to what business you should go into. You should listen to who your friend should be. And you should listen to where you should live. Now, what does the Gemara say? The Gemara says, your wife tells you you're in the real estate, right? You're in the real estate business. She's like, I don't think this is a good business for us. I think you should go into rubbish removal. I think you should go into plumbing. Or like the Gemara says, that even though she can't give you a reason, in other words, she doesn't know the real estate business, but she's like, he comes up and he goes, oh my gosh, I have this deal. I'm going to buy 13 buildings. And, and let me show you and we're going to flip. And she's like, I got a bad feeling about this. I think this this is a scam. And you're like, scam? I had my lawyers look at it. I had my accountants look at it. I had my real estate surveyors look at it. What are you talking about? She's like, Chaim, I have a bad feeling about this. I think it's a scam. The Gemara says, even though she makes no logical sense, she doesn't have anything to stand on, you have to listen to her. Because a woman's intuition when it comes to Parnassah is the correct intuition. Let's say you have a friend, the Gemara says, and you come home, and you're like, I met this guy in shul. Oh my God. He, he's like, he's the greatest guy. We're going to hang together. We're going to chill together. We're going to learn together. I love this guy. And she's like, what's his name? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I don't like, I don't like them. 
What do you mean you don't like them? They said something to you? They did something to you? No. It's a bad feeling. I don't trust that guy. Now, the worst thing a parent can tell a kid, a daughter, a teenager is, I don't trust your friends. Because you don't mess with somebody's friends. Gomorrah says, so, so the husband says, give me a reason. You can't just tell me not to be his friend. Give me a reason. She's like, I don't have a reason. I just don't like him. Gamora says you have to listen to her. Even though she has no logic behind it. And the third thing is where you should live. Right? I don't think, you know, let's move to, let's move to this in this town. And she's like, I don't think we're going to do well there. Why not? I don't know. Just don't, don't like it. I don't like, I just don't, don't feel comfortable going there. Gamora says those three things, an intuition, a man has to listen to a woman. So there's, there's input. Even though it makes no sense what she's saying. She's not in business. She doesn't know your friend. A woman's intuition and those three things, you need to listen to her. So marriage and children, and, and I, I was telling this, this, this meeting that I had today with, with a very big Baal and he wanted to know, he said, what do I do with my children? Like, like I want them to be more into Hashem and more into Davening and more into a lot of other things. What do I do with my children? And I said to him, spend time with your children. Spend time, there's a lot of books, but spend time. I said, take, I said, take your son to a baseball game. Take him to a baseball game. I mean, don't sit where the guys are cursing and stuff. Maybe, maybe take him to a baseball, take him out. I said, take him out to Colorado with a minion for two days, for three days. Show him the, the beauty of Hashem's world. Take him out of the book because he's not doing so well in the book. And sh- you want to teach him who Hashem is? Go to Colorado, go to the Rockies, look at the waterfalls, look at the mountains. I said, some kids can see it from the book, and some kids can see it from the from the Ma'is Hashem. Interact with the earth, interact with the Kodesh Hu's creation. You have to interact, and and that's something that this generation is. We, the older generation, we just sat there and wrote notes. The Rebbe spoke, we wrote. It doesn't work anymore because outside of the classroom, that's what these kids do. They, they send a message, they get a message back. They send a message, they get a message back. So in Chinuch, we have to change our Chinuch. We have to have the kids more involved in the actual, what we're teaching. Projects, right? Projects, going out and, 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 and seeing, you know, I, I was telling him that, that many times I go to the coastal, I was just in there to two weeks ago. So, so, so how, how do you teach your kids to dive in and all this other stuff? I said, sometimes I tell my kids, when you go to the coastal, just sit in a chair and watch other people daven. There are, I cannot tell you how many times I have cried at the coastal, just sitting and watching people go up to that wall and fall apart. And I'm just like, you know, the most modern people, and they're walking up there with their backpack, and they put their hand on the wall, and they look up, and it's like, they just break up inside, and they just start crying and rubbing the wall, and I'm sitting there, and I, I cry. I'm like, not me diving, just watching other people diving. Other people, even going with crosses, walk up there and just like, you know, like like they're talking to Hashem and then they take a piece of paper and they're crying and they put it into the wall and I'm watching this and I'm like, wow. You know, you know, at the end of the time, no matter who you are, what you are, everybody breaks down. So sometimes I sit by the Koiso and I'm there for two hours and I only down 15 minutes. I down my room and I just sit there and watch, especially Friday night, it's amazing. Just watch the change, right? Japanese people, Japanese people going up to the wall and just crying away. And like, 
like, like writing names, like, like Hashem's gonna come down and save whoever those people are. It's, it's, it's amazing. Interactive, interactive. That's what, that's what the internet does. That's what, that's why people are on the internet all the time. If they would just be able to watch other people, it would not happen. Like television? Television, you sit there and you can't do, you can't, you can't be interactive with the actors. It's the whole thing, the whole basis of, of, um, what's that thing that the actors do to, uh, be in touch with people? Twitter, right? This whole Twitter thing. It's the dumbest thing in the world. I need to know when the guy's going to the bathroom. Hi, I'm going to the bathroom. Hi, I just made a glass of lemonade. And everyone's Twittering, right? And the answer is because you get a chance to interact with this crazy, huge actor. On television, you can't interact with him. He's on A, and that's it, right? Here, you get a chance to interact. It's a world that needs to interact. And this started a long, long time ago. Because if you look at Megillah's Rus, you see that the whole Boaz, Rus, was because Boaz actually interacted with Rus, and you see how they talk to each other, and Boaz actually calls her BT, as I talk about a lot. He calls her his daughter, but she interacts with him. She doesn't always say thank you and walk away. She says, why are you calling me BT? Why are you giving me attention? I'm nobody. And he says back, because you're nobody, because you gave up everything, that's why I'm interacting with you. And she says back, wow, you consoled me. This whole, this whole discussion. And the same thing that night, when she uncovered his legs in the, in the, in the silo, they have this whole interaction, this whole discussion he has with her. So, so it's, I think it's just important chinuch for our children that let, let them say the Dvar Torah on Pesach by the Seder. Let, let, be quiet. We know that you're a big, know how to learn. Let them do the Shabbos table. Let them set the table. Let them make the challah. We know that you're a great baker, but let your kids make the challah. Maybe that'll save her later on when her friends are not Shemesh Shabbos, that she will be Shemesh Shabbos, because she had her hands in the kugel. She bought, she went shopping with her mommy for the flowers. She went to the fruit store, not making an order, and all of a sudden a bunch of glam are bringing it to the house, but that you are hands-on. There's, there's nothing to talk about. The best thing I've done is that when I was in Eretz too, I went to Moron, I took my grandson. It was amazing. I didn't realize how disconnected I was from him. All of a sudden I'm with him for four days. And we went to Marzmach Pele together, and we went to Kevin Ruckel together, and we went to Moron for Shabbos together, and this kid was like, Zaydi, 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 and I didn't realize, until I took him on this trip, that I was very disconnected with him before this trip. And all of a sudden, I'm interacting, I'm talking about Marzmach Pele, and we're going to Kevin Ruckel, and we're talking about everything, and we're in the taxi together. Kids, husbands and wives, Rabbeim and teachers and kids, they need this interaction. Today, you cannot just just be one way, one way, one way. What do you mean? I'm teaching my kid. I'm talking to him all the time. Right. Let him talk. Let her talk. We're not used to that. But we have to do that. Let them talk. Let them have the input. Let them run the Shabbos table. Let them make Shabbos. I, I, I was just in a school and I said, so we're having a very big challenge right now with Shabbos. I don't know if anybody in this room, you know, Baruch Hashem, you may not know about this, but Kleistrol never had a, such a challenge from from kids. We have a big challenge with kids being Machal Shabbos today. From 13, from 12, and and up, just just being on their phones on Shabbos, getting into cars and going to hotels and being machal Shabbos a whole week with three, thirty or forty kids getting together in a hotel outside New York just to be machal Shabbos. So there's a, there's a very huge disconnection from Shabbos. Shabbos became a subject. 
what Shabbos? It's a, it's a, it's a test on the 39 malachas. And it gets marked. So, so, what's the beauty of Shabbos? The beauty of Shabbos was when, when we were growing up, right? And the beauty of Pesach and the beauty of all these things were, did you got your hands dirty? So the kid, you know, the kid was involved in, you know, kids that make challahs for Shabbos in pre-1A, they're very excited. They put that challah under the father's you know, with all the chalas, even though you can't eat the thing because it's usually hard like a bullet, right? Right? You have to make believe that, wow, it's unbelievable, right? They're very excited. Look, I made a challah. I made the challah. I made the kiddush cup, I'm, right? We, we stopped doing that. And we have to realize in our competition, the satan is very, 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 very interactive. And that's something we're not doing anymore. So, yeah, letting your kid bake the challah for Shabbos, taking her shopping and letting her buy the ingredients and buy the fruit and buy the flowers when she's six years old and five years old and seven and eight years old and mommy says you pick the flowers this week and Tati says oh my gosh she picks better flowers than mommy she's amazing right he doesn't have to say it that way but whatever but she picks beautiful that, that, that they have a I have a beauty for Shabbos because because I always shop for Shabbos I have a beauty for Shabbos because as a seven year old little boy a nine year old little boy I put on a play every single Shabbos for my father with my brother and my sister. So, so yesterday I spent two hours last night talking to a yeshiva boy who went off to Derek, who's now an, an atheist, doesn't believe in anything. And he said to me, you cannot tell me for sure that there's a God. That's what he said to me last night. You cannot tell me for sure that there's a God. And I said, I am 100% sure there's a God. And he said, that's emotional. But logically, you cannot tell me 100% that there's a God. And I said, logically, I probably could, but you'll fight me on it. But I don't want to know a God through logic. I want to know a God exactly the way I know him, through emotion. Because logic is not love. You don't love someone through logic. You love someone through emotions. You can match up with someone through logic. She's this, I'm this, 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 check, 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 check. But that's not emotional. So I told him, I don't want to know God through logic. I want to know God. And then, of course, I proved him through logic. And, of course, he would not accept any of the proofs that I said because he wasn't interested in knowing the truth. But there's a lot of kids like that today. So so th- there has to be an emotional relationship when it comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And here by Rus. And, and this is really my share tonight. Um, here by Rus, there was a very emotional relationship, not a logical relationship. The logical thing for Rus to, to have done was to leave Naomi and go with Arpa. Because she was a Moavia, she was a guy, she would not be accepted by Kleisrael. Naomi told her straight up, there's no Yibam here, I'm not having another child, so you're not gonna marry my son's brother, because that's the halacha, there's no reason to go with me. There was no logic whatsoever. It was emotion. She said, Amech Ami, your nation is my nation. Elokayich, your God is my God. Why? What did she see that your nation is my nation, just the opposite. She married a Jew and he died. Her father-in-law died her brother-in-law died. Her husband died. They lost all their money. Naomi is saying, when she comes back to Eretz don't call me Naomi. Naomi means beautiful, right? Call me Mara. 
Why? Because God made it bitter for me. She's a very big question on this because she was supposedly a very big Tzadikista. The Tzadikista should have come back and said, it's my shirt. Whatever Hashem does for you is good for the better. Instead, she came back and told the Jewish women, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Look, I left with a family and money. I came back with nothing. So, Russ, why are you hanging on to this lady? She's saying she's forbidden. She's saying she lost everything. So there was an emotional relationship, not a logical relationship, where she said, your nation is my nation. Your God is my God. Where you go, I go. Sounds like a love affair, right? Where you go, I go. Where you sleep, I sleep. Your God's my God, your nation's my And wherever you're going to die, I die. Where we can't, no one can break us up. We're attached at the hip. That's called the dafka. She was glued to her. So, Rus's relationship with Naomi had zero logic to it. Zero logic. Why should she go to Israel? She's a princess of Moab. She's a billionaire. Her father's a billionaire. Right? She's a prince of Moab. She can get any man in the world. No one's going to marry her. She's a Moavia. Naomi said, I don't have a penny to my name. We're going to have to collect tzedakah from the floor. We're going to have to pick up kernels of wheat from the floor. So, it was a total emotional relationship. So what happens from this emotional relationship? So if you if you go into Shmuel Aleph, it's fascinating. So you have this these two Arpa went one way, she didn't hold on, she let go. I was talking about I was talking about addiction. So so the problem with addiction, the reason it has an eighty percent relapse is because most people can't bedufkabo. What happened to Arpa? Arpa hold, held on. I'm not going anywhere. But the second time that Naomi said, go, go, it's better over there, it's better over there, she slipped, she couldn't hold on, she slipped, and she went, and she did every Avera in the book. In addiction, when, when, so, so, so the, the person, in the beginning, and I, I deal with kids like this all the time, in the beginning they fight, and they're like, 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 Arpa was with Naomi, I'm not leaving you, I'm holding on to you, she was clinging on to her. But the friends are saying like, come on, come on, you know what I mean? How long is this gonna last? We're going to party. You know, you're in pain. Look what happened. You just broke up with your girlfriend. You broke up with this. Your parents are not with you. Whatever it is. And that person can't stick. Can't be glued. And he steps to the side. And once he steps to the side, he says, okay, one drink, one drink. I'm not drinking one more. Anyone in this room that ever dieted, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You know, the girl who lost 60 pounds and her friends are jealous. So they're like, just one piece of cake. We're having a birthday cake. And she's like, why are you doing that to me? I'm on a diet. Why are you doing that? I know, but you know, it's her birthday. What's one piece of chocolate cake going to do to you anyway? So you gain a pound, ooh, one pound. Meanwhile, they're, they're dreaming that she's going to eat this cake and it's going to break her whole diet and she's going to get 100 pounds because they're all jealous because how could she do this and we could not do this, right? And what happens? She eats the piece of cake. The diet's over. How many times does that happen? Then it comes, you say, okay, you know what? I'll start Monday. Sunday, weekend, I'll start Monday. It's Monday, I'll start next Sunday. And all of a sudden, all the weight you lost is gone, plus you're gaining more. And they're like, oh, I can't believe it. The same girl that gave you the piece of cake, I can't believe it. You worked so hard. Oh, my God, look what you look like now. I can't believe you did this to yourself. And she really did it to her. And she's like, well, now I don't have to lose weight because she couldn't do it. So then I'm not, I'm not forced to do it. So what, what happened? Why don't you eat the piece of cake? What's the big deal? Eat the piece of cake and go on the treadmill tomorrow. Another half an hour, 500 calories. Get rid of it, right? And the answer is... That one, and this is what we learned from you, that once you let go, 
Once that dafka, once you let go like Arpa did, it's just straight downhill. You can't let go. And, and, the, and the idea of AA is that it's sort of a rehab that continues. You keep coming back and you're like, I'm clean, I'm clean. Even that has a crazy high number of relapsing, but I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. And you have this whole group and it interacts how you clean, why you clean. You have a sponsor, you have all this, you have all that. So you're living in, you're sort of living in a rehab that's outside the rehab and they try to keep you there. But so many people, so many girls that I know, two years, I have a friend, 30 years, he didn't smoke a cigarette. 30 years, he's a friend of mine. He stopped 30 years ago from smoking. Last year, he was going, going through a whole thing. I see him on the porch smoking a cigarette. I'm like, what are you doing? 30 years clean. He goes, I'm just going, I'm, I'm just going, I'm, I'm going through something right now. Just a lot of pressure. I'm not smoking like I used to. Two, three cigarettes a day, that's all I'm doing. I'm like, come on, why? Just, just no, no, no. Today, chain smoker. Two and a half packs. 30 years, he fell back. Dufka, you, you can't let go. Not one cigarette, not one movie. No, if you do one, you break. And that's what happened to Orpah. She held on, she held on, she let go. What came from her? Gullius. Who was Gullius? He got up and cursed God, and he cursed Kleistra. So here, from this moment of time, one steps out, Arpa has Gullius, the Plishti, and the other one steps in, Rus has David HaMelech, Malchus Yehuda, and Mashiach. Same place, same moment, coming from the same place, one held on, one did not. You got to hold on. Because once you step and you let go, you can end up in the worst place that's possible. So now, I want to tell you what came from this emotional, and we'll wrap it up, what came to you from this emotional place that, that made no sense, that made no logical sense. Why Rus? Why are you holding on? Go home, right? Listen to what came from this. So, Patzichav Gimel, Perek Yud Zayin, and Shmuel Aleph, this, Hine Ish Hebenayim Oyla Golius HaPlishti. And this Golius HaPlishti got up, and he cursed the Jews, and he cursed Hashem. Bechol Ish Yisrael Beroisim Ese Ish, all the Jewish warriors, David Amel's brothers were big warriors. Shaul was the biggest warrior. When they saw this man, they ran away from him. They were very, 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 very scared. And the Jewish people were saying, did you ever see a man like this? He got up to curse the Jews. Right? And whoever kills him, the king is going to make him rich. And he's going to give, Shaul is going to give his daughter to that person. So David Melech heard this. David Melech heard this. He comes to Shaul. Listen to this. He says, I'm not scared of this guy. Shaul, I'll go fight with him. But Yom HaShol David, sorry. Because you have to remember there was a deal going on here. The deal was the Plishti, Goliath fights one-on-one. If he wins, all the Jews have to give up. If the other guy wins, if the Jew wins, all the Plishti have to give up. So it's a one-on-one fight. Everything's at stake here. So this little boy shows up, shows the biggest warrior in the world, 
And this little boy says, I am going to go up against Goliath. You cannot go up and fight this Plishti. To go to war with him. You're a little boy. And this man is a war machine. I think, I think David Melch was 17 years old. And he didn't know how to fight. So Shaul said, I'm not putting the whole Jewish nation at stake for you. Okay. Okay. I was a shepherd for my father. And one day, a lion and a bear came to the flock of sheep. And they grabbed one of my sheep. I ran after them. And I hit them. I hit him so hard that I was able to take the sheep out of their mouth. But they weren't happy about that, this bear and lion. They turned around and they attacked me. I grabbed onto the mane of the lion. And I beat him until he was dead. I killed the lion and I killed the bear. And this plishti is just like one of them. He went after and made fun of the Jewish nation, of God's nation. Now listen to what he said. Hashem said, Hashem, not me, not I'm strong, not I'm a warrior, not I know how to fight. The same God that helped me kill a lion and a, and a bear is the same God that's going to help me Take care of this question. I have to tell you, I went yesterday to the doctor. They have this crazy sore throat. I woke up with this sore throat like my throat was closing. For sure, it's strep. My grandchildren all have strep. I'm like, for sure, it's strep. I ran to the doctor, and I sat down, and he does this culture, you know, which hurts like crazy, and you're gagging. And he does this culture, and I'm like, Doc, I really hope it's positive. He says, why? I'm like, because if it's strep, Z-pack, one day, it's over. Right? If it's a virus, a week. Or maybe more. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope it's positive. Same thing with my grandchildren. If they're sick, right? My, my, Yitzhak, the one I took there to Australia, had fever on the plane. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? We got there to Australia, we did a strep culture, it was positive. I'm like, fantastic. 24 hours on, on, on what his fever's gone. Right? So I'm praying for strep. He says, can I ask you something? He's a from doctor, he says, you're hoping that it's strep because there's an antibiotic that's going to take it away. The same God that created the antibiotic that is going to work to take it away is the same God that take away a virus. Why do you need it? Why do you need it to be strep? Manishtana, he says to me. I don't understand. What's the difference? It's the same guy. He says, you think really the medicine really works? God hides behind this doctor. God hides behind the, the medicine to make it look like he has nothing to do with it, he says. But the same God that created the antibiotic to help you strap, he's the same guy, take your virus tomorrow morning, you can wake up, it's gone. Like Manashtana. So that's what Dabra Melech said here. Dabra Melech said to him, Galios, a whole army of Plishtim, the same God that helped me kill a lion and a bear, it's the same God. So he's a giant. Manashtana. That's what he told Shaul. Okay. All of a sudden, now you have to remember the whole Jewish nation is riding on this. David. Like, okay. You can, you can represent us. And God will be with you. Okay? 
So, David puts on his helmet, David puts on his sword, David's, David realizes what happened was, the Medrash says, Chazal say that, Shaul was very big, very tall, David was very short. So Shaul said, listen, you can't go up against this guy without us. He put his helmet on him, and he put his, all his gear on him, and it all shrunk. And it fit David. It should have been very big on David. And David realized that all of a sudden Shaul looked at him differently because if the, the king's armor fits him, what it means is that he's going to be the next king. And he realized that Shaul was looking at him a little differently. So he said, you know what, I'm a shepherd. I'm not used to wearing armor. And he took it off. He was very smart. And he said, no, nah, I don't feel comfortable in this. Sort of like Moshe Rabbeinu eating the coals instead of taking the crown. Okay? So... He takes his stick, and he takes five stones. I told you last week what the stones were? That they were from Brismila? Right? Okay. So he takes these five stones, and I told you see with the copper helmet, it opened up, the whole deal. Now, listen to what happens. The Plishti looks at him, and he embarrasses him. Because he was a little boy, he was a redhead. He was very beautiful. His eyes were made out of all the colors of the rainbow. David Amel's eyes were very special. And the police, he says, what do you think, I'm a killer? Right? And he says, I'm going to give you meat to Shemaim. And now listen carefully. So, he says, the police, says to David Amelech, Ki You're coming to fight me with a bunch of sticks? You think I'm a dog? That's how you're going to fight me? And I'm going to give you all your, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to give you to the birds and to the animals. Now listen to what, listen to what David Amelech announces in front of Christ. Well, everybody's there. This is the big fight. This is the big war. You're coming at me with a sword, a mace, and a spear. And I'm coming against you with what? What he should have said, is I'm coming against you with a stick. That's what he had. He didn't say that. He said, I'm not, you're, you're getting up, Plishti, and you're saying to me, Chutzpah! You, you think I'm a dog? You're coming after me with a stick? Donamelo says, stupid. I'm not even coming after you with a stick! B'Shem Hashem! I don't have no stick! The stick is not gonna kill you! The stones are not gonna kill you! He says, I'm coming at you with nothing! I'm coming at you with the name of God, the, the God of the nation of Yisrael, that you made fun of. I am coming at you, no stick, no nothing. I'm coming at you with Hashem. Today God will give me into your hands. We know that he, that, that, he's talking to Kleistral now. He says, and I want all of the Jews to know, Hashem. You don't win a war. You don't win a war with a mace and a sword and, and a spear. The war belongs to God. And of course, he kills them. Where did David Malik get this from? Shaul didn't have it. Thoramelech's brothers didn't have it. The biggest warriors in Klai Yisrael, Thoramelech's generals, I mean Shaul's generals, these were all superhuman fighters. This is what they did their whole life. They didn't have it. Nobody was willing to go up against Goliath. 
Robert HaMelech has this thing that he's not scared of anything because at the end of the day, like we spoke once before, if, if I'm the stick in Hashem's hand, then I have the strength of God. I can do anything. Where do you get that from? And this is probably the biggest proof of DNA. Because three generations before that, his mother, his grandmother, the Im HaMalchus, held on to Naomi and made a statement and said, your nation is my nation. And your God is my God. And that traveled three generations to David HaMelech as a young little boy who got up and said, this nation is my nation and someone is getting up and cursing. This God is my God and someone's getting up and cursing. My great-grandmother said that this nation and this God is hers and I'm going to stand by and let this happen? No. That's the payach of every person in this room. When you make God your God and you make Klai your nation, then your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will stand up for God and will stand up for Klai And a lot of us that are sitting here today and a lot of us that are watching this year are only here and only keep Shabbos and kosher and have this feeling and connection to Hashem because 70 years ago in a, in a, in a concentration camp, right, in a Holocaust where the Nazis wanted to take away this nation and our God, our grandparents and great-grandparents stood up and said, we are, this is our nation and this is our God and even though we lost so many, so much, we're going to come to America and we're going to reestablish Klai Yisrael. And as much as the stuff that we're going on, there's never been, there's never been this many children, Kanayinahara. There has never been this, this much Daf Yomi being learned. We're making, I went this week to a, to a, to a wedding in the middle of Sphira. They never used to have a wedding until, until either Rosh Chodesh and then they waited till the three days before Shavuos. Now there's a psak that because you can't get a wedding hall, you cannot get a wedding hall between Shavuos and, 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 and Yud Zion Thomas and Shivas Thomas. You cannot get a wedding hall. So the Rabbanim says you can't get a wedding hall, you can't push off people getting married. It's a bigger mitzvah. So after, after Lagva Omer, even though Rabbi David Feinstein will not go to a wedding, after Lagva Omer, until, because Ramesha says you're not allowed to, until the Shoshim Agbala, I wanted to make a wedding, he told me I'm not coming. He said, I'll go to the second day of Shkodesh, ER, and I'll go to the Shoshim Agbala. After Lagva Omer, until the Shoshim Agbala, I'm not going. So, so, why? Because Bliyai and Hara, yes, we have a lot of tragedies, but we also don't have a date to make a wedding. So on the other side, you know what I mean? Maimonides, I don't know what their numbers are. Can I know how? We can ask Ruth. She she goes through Maimonides. How many kids are born a day in Maimonides? Everyone talks about the people that are passing away and the sick people. But at Kishbaruch HaKlaisrael, there's never been like such an unbelievable, unbelievable how we're growing. Where does that come from? Because someone in a concentration camp said, my nation is Hashem, this nation is my nation, and this God is my God. Even though I have numbers on my hand, even though I lost everybody, it doesn't make a difference. Hashem is my God, and Christ was my nation, and that DNA is in this generation. That's why we're all here. There's nothing to talk about. So, a person standing up for a Kurdish Baruch Hu, you think you're just doing it for yourself? Look what happened with Dawud HaMelech. Dawud was the only one that could kill, that could kill Goliath. He was the only one because his mother, Stuck longer than Goliath's grandmother, mother. So because Rus stayed longer, 
Then Arpa, he was the only one that could kill Goliath. No one else in Klai could kill Goliath. Only David Melech had that Koyach. So we, the Malchus, we're coming to Malchus Sheba Malchus. What is Malchus Sheba Malchus? What does it mean to be a Jewish king? What does that mean? Who was the Jewish king? Who, where is, where is Al-Malchus? It comes from a little boy. It comes from a 17-year-old boy who got up and made an announcement and said, nobody messes with my God and nobody messes with my nation. That's Malchus. That's Tabar Malach. That's where we're supposed to be when we get to Shavuos. When we stand by Shavuos, I know cheesecake is very important, but outside of cheesecake, we need to be, Malchus Shabbat Malchus means that Kleisrael is my nation, and I will not allow anyone to make fun of them or to hurt them. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is my God, and I will not allow anyone to get up and make fun of him and, 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 and to speak bad about him. I will stand up for him. And that Kayach will, will give you the Kayach to, for your grandchildren, your great, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. I'll end with this. They have a story with Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. So there, there was a, a, a family. It's, it's, it's written in his book. There was a, there was a, a family in the twenties, thirties. I don't know what years. So in those years, Shabbos, right? So they used to work on Saturday and they didn't work on Sunday. But a Jew, right? He would get a job. He wouldn't tell them Yisheh Shabbos. Saturday he wouldn't show up. He would lose the job. So every week he had to find another job. It was very hard to be a Jew in those days. To be Yisheh Shabbos, there's a shul. There's a shul in Borough Park called Shemesh Shabbos. I dive in there all the time. Why was it called Shemesh Shabbos? Because most of the shuls, when this shul was in the 30s, most of the shuls, people would go to Hashkama Minyan, to 7 o'clock Minyan, and at 9 o'clock they would go into their car and go to work. So Shemesh Shabbos was the first one that only allowed in their constitution people who come to the shul had to keep the whole Shabbos. In fact, there are many shuls that don't allow Hashkama Minyan's. Don't allow seven o'clock minions. Because the seven o'clock minion was created, that Shkama minion was created so people could go to work. So they don't allow it. See them start at nine o'clock. Nine thirty. There's no seven o'clock minion. It doesn't exist. So, so this man lost his job every single week. And his children, he had three sons. Every one of them grew up and became a Chalashavas. And he went to Ramayshi Feinstein and he said, I don't understand, Rebbe. He said, I was Moise Nefesh to keep Shabbos. I lost my job every single week to keep Shabbos. And this is how Hashem repays me. I was Moise Nefesh and all three of my children are Machal Shabbos. I don't understand. So Moshe asked him, I want to ask you a question. You knew that you, you were losing your job. What did you say at the Shabbos table when you sat with your kids? He said, I used to say, Oh, It's very hard to be a Jew. Every week I lose my job. He said, so why did you think that your kids would be Shemr Shabbos? If you're standing there and telling them how hard it is to be a Jew, why would they want to do something that's hard to be a Jew? He said, had you sat by the Shabbos table and said, how lucky are we that we're able to be mice and nefesh to lose a job every week to keep Shabbos? He said, all three of your children will be Shemr Shabbos. But because you fetched and you complained how hard it is to be mice and for Shabbos, so they don't want any part of it. So you, as we as people, we have to show our children by example, not, oh my gosh, it costs so much to do this, and it costs so much to do this, and, the sh- and kosher food costs so much. If you're going to complain about, oh my gosh, this steak costs me so much, then your kids are going to be like, why, so why would I eat kosher? My, even my mother complained about it, and she was kosher. So we have to be like Dabra Melach. We have to be that Akash Baruch Hu is everything and Yiddishkeit is everything. And if we do that, then we'll be Zaikh to see Mashiach. And if you're able to stay up a whole Shavuos night and come to Arnava, 
It's a shmirah for you for a whole year. May we all spend Shavuot Bezrat Hashem in the Beit HaMikdash and see the Karbanos again. And uh, next week we're not going to be having a shir because you'll be learning at home. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.